You're listening to Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere, where we cover advanced real estate investing topics to help you stay ahead of the curve in your real estate investing business. Hey, welcome to Real Investor Radio. I'm Craig Fuhr. Jack, how you doing today? Good, man. Good morning. Good morning. Excited to have our guest today. Yeah, episode 16. Welcome, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the show thus far. If you didn't catch uh, last episode, we met with uh, Logan Motoshami from Housing Wire to go into sort of the entire market. Jack, that was a crazy conversation. Yes. Yeah, super smart dude, and he's only focused on housing economics. So, I mean, I learned a ton and really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I would advise everybody to go back and check that out. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I think Logan is an incredibly smart guy, and I think all he does is spend his time looking at charts on the housing market, residential housing market. And I, I, I honestly feel like he's just a little more bullish than I am about the market. But, uh, you know, I think if you talk to any guy like that, you could probably make the story that you want to make, right, Jack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, there's a lot of, it's, it's completely data backed. So, you know, I'm encouraged by that. Um, I mean, he's certainly not like roses uh, and, and sunshine, but, um, but uh, I thought that it was uh, getting his perspective was really interesting. And it's something that uh, as we're going into what could be a continued tumultuous environment here with super high rates, you know, understanding what's going on a macro level um, is really important. You know, if you're, if you're in a strategy and the Fed or the overall economy is just working against you, you know, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter how good of an operator you are. If you're trying to, you know, bail, if you're trying to bail water out of the Titanic, you're going to have a tough time. So might be, be good to be mindful of those kind of macro issues as we, uh, as we, you know, as we push forward here. Yeah, I'm actually looking, Jack, looking forward, Jack, to talking to some more folks and to get their take as well. You know, I, um, I think it's always good to hear the yin and the yang. And we got the yin from Logan. And I'd love to bring on some folks that maybe are a little bit more bearish on what might be out there and really just get their thoughts on like, why? You know, what are you seeing that maybe Logan is not? And do we agree that there's, you know, some sort of middle ground or is one right and one, one, one not right, right? Yeah, flawed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's all about housing affordability right now, Jack. Um, I was uh, doing a little research before the show, and I was just sort of looking around at some different states and affordability right now. And uh, so I just took a look at, at California, for instance. Uh, median house pricing in LA, around the LA MSA, is about 830 grand. The salary men needed for a purchase of that would be about 200, about $210,000 a year. I guess that would be you know household income, right? That payment, uh, based on today's rates and 20% down, is about $5,200 a month. And I'm not smart enough to do that uh, debt-to-income ratio, but you can. It, it doesn't feel very affordable just sort of from afar. Took a look at Florida before we had uh, for our guest Franklin Cruz on today, which I'll introduce him in a second. Florida, the median home price, Jack, between 2015 to 2022 climbed from $300,000 up to four fifty, dollars which I think was fairly typical around the country, so that that, that increase. Um, and I think uh, the median price around the country right now is about four fifty, four sixty. Um, so the income, however, in 2019, median income in Florida was $67,000, which is just, un and, and now it's just under 60. So it's decreased to, to about, you know, just under 60 grand. So with PITI 
a payment on the median house in Florida would be about $3,700 a month. And I, I'm, I'm not a mathematician again, but I think that represents higher than average debt to income. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? No, but yeah, affordability is continues to be the the driver for a difficult housing market, right? Like, but at least two years ago, housing prices were skyrocketing. But you know, it was all about that payment, and you weren't really, you know, it, it with a little bit of like retroactive perspective at the time. I was like, my God, these prices are crazy. Like, it's really getting hard to make buying decisions here. And later, what I realized was that you weren't buying the house as much as you were buying the mortgage. And, you know, get, locking in the 3%, 4% money, that was the asset that you were that you were really locking in, or that was the trade, right? That was the good being, on, you know, being on the good side of the trade was being the borrower at 3 to 4% money. And so, and we did a lot of it because it made sense from a DSCR point of view um, for us to refinance some debt. But I later realized, man, and, and you see that now, the, um, the mortgages that were originated at that 4% you know, three, four percent rates um, today. Those are trading at seventy cents on the dollar in the secondary market in Wall Street. So, if you own one of those, right, you're thirty. You got over thirty points on Wall Street. So, it's paying off one of those at par at a hundred cents when it's worth seventy is a tough decision right now. And um, so, anyway, the, you know that 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 you know circling back to your the affordability conversation. So, you know that payment really and that locked in payment for a long period of time um, is something that people aren't want to get gonna gonna get rid of. And um, as a result, there's just going to be less velocity, right? Less uh, transaction volume in the market on a going forward basis. And that was something that Logan was talking about. That you know, there's a whole segment of the market that used to transact because of like real life decisions, right? Like moving and jobs and stuff and, uh, or, you know, household formation, Oh, I'm sorry, moving and jobs and just, you know, natural existing home sales. And because of those locked in, you know, mortgages that exist, those people are just sidelined, like, right. Like it just doesn't make economic sense for them to sell a mortgage for, to pay off a mortgage at a hundred cents that is really worth 70, right. Said differently. Um, and uh, and as a result, the the home buyer, the the, the activity that we do have are going to be that new household formation. Um, and so the, the, it's the, the, the predicting where the market's going to go and what sub markets are going to do is much more about what are the what's the new household formation market going to do? Where, where can it afford to, to transact? And so. Um, so, I think you know, from a macro standpoint, I just don't see how we can have, you know, such a massive gap of affordability and builders can continue to build houses of the same square footage that we've all been accustomed to over the last 10 years. Something's got to give. The land price has got to give. The house has got to give. The, the, uh, the labor has got to give. Something has got to give to make these things affordable. Incomes have to go up. And I'm not seeing a really hope in a whole lot of those spaces. So I think builders have to shift sort of the mentality of what they're doing. And that's why I want to bring in a guy that we're bringing in today, Franklin Cruz. So Franklin, welcome to the show, brother. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. So Franklin is an old friend. I've known him for quite some time. He's a United States Army veteran, proud veteran a father of two great kids, 
He's a real estate investor with more than 20 years of real estate experience, and he inherited the name the Real Estate Drill Sergeant because, honestly, he's kind of a no-nonsense guy. <laughs> uh, what you see is what you get with Frank. He's a big ball of unbelievable energy. Never seen a guy with a brighter light than myself. Uh, Franklin is on the show today. Honestly, tell us what he's doing in the Florida market mm -hmm. with affordable housing. And I just think it's so exciting, Franklin. I can't wait to get into all the details of what you're doing. So man, thank you for being here. No, man, on the thank show. you so much, man. I'm definitely honored to be here. And hopefully whoever's listening, you know, definitely get that pen and paper out because I'm going to drop some nuggets of things that I've learned in real time that could actually help some people that's listening to this now. Um, so yeah, Craig, I, I basically have I've transitioned from investor to developer the last four years. So it's been interesting. I feel yeah. that. Yeah. Not, not, dude. I, I've I've watched you from afar. I really should. I should. You need to change your LinkedIn profile, and I should have uh, updated that myself, knowing what you've been up to. So, thanks again. So, man, tell us about um, tell us about the transition from investor to developer, and sort of what that looked like initially, and when it happened for you. Yeah. So it's a great question because it has an amazing story. So get some popcorn on this one. Uh, so basically what so is my wife of 15 years um, filed for divorce. And when she filed for divorce, literally the next week, a lady called me that had some land in South Lakeland. Now, if you know anything about South Lakeland, just imagine wherever you live at right now that you've got, you know, you always had that section of town that's like really ritzy that you're just like, one day that's where I want to go, you know, if you don't already live there, Right. Um, but we all have that over here. It's South Lakeland. And so I remember the lady gave me a call and I knew she had this house in the middle and she had nine acres of land, but I've never done a land deal. So in 20 plus years, I always just did residential, easy peasy, fix, flip, wholesale or list the property. And that's it. That was, I was like, that's been 20 Existing years. Homes. Yeah, that's it. Just homes, never did land. And, um, and then, so she calls me up. I go and meet the meet the lady. What was interesting is uh, her name was Nancy, and that why that stood out is my my mom's name is was Nancy, and my mom passed when I was ten, so it's like a really big deal. And I never met a, a seller named Nancy before, so I was like, "Oh, this is going to be interesting." All right, so I talked to her, and she's like, "Look, I need to sell the property. My mom is sick. All these other things are going on, but they're the original owners from 1963." OK, so just imagine you've got house in the middle, nine acres, beautiful area, everything. And I was like, all right, well, I just treated it as I would a house. So I said, look, I don't know anything about land. I think there's I know there's value in the house. I think I could flip the house for eight or nine hundred thousand. They wanted six hundred thousand, but they were willing to do creative financing. So at the time too, remember, I'm going through a divorce. So literally this these papers just hit. Now I'm having this conversation. I was like, man, I don't even know if I'm going to have money tomorrow. Like, I have no clue how this situation. So I did. I said, look, I'll lock it up right now. Here's $1,000 cash that we could lock up the contract. She signed it under seller financing. And I would pay her $50,000 now or $50,000 in six months, then $50,000 after the 12th month, and then another 100000 and then the remaining balance at the end of two years. And I told her, I said, the only reason why I'm going to take two years, because I don't know shit about land. And I don't even know where to start. And I don't even know how long the due diligence would be. Um, and she was like, okay, at least, at least you're being honest. And she signed the contract. And then what I did is immediately 
I had this epiphany. I was like, oh man, I don't even know anybody that does land. Like, I don't even know. Like, I have no idea who I can trust that actually has been a developer before that can possibly do something here. Like, I don't even know where to start. And, you know, and when you YouTube stuff, it's like everybody who's a developer, they're so grand of just, like, oh, I did a hundred million dollar deal. I did this. And you're just like, okay, that's great. Tell me the tactics. What was the, like, tell me what specifically. The how to. Yeah. You're just like, okay, well, nobody ever tells you like, okay, first thing you got to do, dude, you got to figure out what's the, what's the zoning, right? Then you got to figure, it's like going through it. What's the zoning? What's possible with the site? What's your conceptual plan? Like nobody tells you this. So anyway, I remember. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody, no, there's no, there's no gurus out there selling a course on no. how to subdivide. And then, you know what hit me? You know why? Because every great developer, their net worth usually starts with a B and they don't need to do shit. I'm sorry. I'm not like Christian. So they don't need to do there, there goes the family show. Jack. I know, right? So it's like, they don't need to do anything. And it makes sense. Like, dude, if you've made a hundred, a hundred million on something, which I do, I remember I was like, oh, I know one guy, Joe. I could call Joe, Joe from Catalyst Capital. And um, and I remember he just closed the deal and made like 50 million. But then Joe wasn't taking my call and Joe wasn't responding to my email. And I was like, God dang it, I don't think Joe's going to be the guy. And so I remember um, my, my soon to be ex at the time, my wife, Bridget, her uncle used to be a builder and he built communities. But 15 years prior, he went completely bankrupt. Or 10 years prior during, you know, when 2008, like he just went bankrupt, lost everything. But he was a he was the first guy in my life I remember that had a Rolex watch. So he always stood out to me because to me, anybody that had a Rolex where I'm from in New York, in the hood of downtown of New York City was like, that dude is selling something or he's just rich. And um, so anyway, so I remember calling Uncle Donnie, we call Uncle Donnie and I said, Uncle Donnie, I got this piece of land. I think I could do something with it. Uncle Donnie says, uh, and I said, look, can I meet you? And can I talk to you? He's like, look, I'll meet you, but this is what I want. And I was like, oh man, oh God, no money. Right? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't know what he's going to say. So he says, I just want two pizzas from Marco's and a Coke. I said, done. I'll get you three pizzas. <laughs> I was like, done. We'll go. So I go to Marco's, we start eating pizza. And he says, look, this is the first thing you got to do. Now I want you to think about the mindset I got is I'm going through a divorce. And so he says, I got, we, we got the divorce part. Yeah, here, yes. Here's why. So the first thing he tells me is you need to hire a civil engineer. And I'm like, another attorney. I don't want to hire a lawyer. I was like, no, it's not a, like, I'm thinking civil, like civil court. And I was like, no, man. And he's like, it's civil engineer. It's an engineer. And I was like, what do they do? And they're like, I've never heard this language before. Like all these new terms are like when I was stationed in Korea, I was like, what, what are they saying? And he's like, you got to do a civil engineer. You got to do a geotech. You got to do the boring. You got to do a top of boundary tree survey. You got to do a gopher study to figure out if there's any gophers. You got to figure out what's up with the land. You got to figure. And I'm like writing down notes, you know, I'm just like, and I'm like gophers. recording it too with my phone. And I'm like, can we repeat? Can it like, can we go back? Cause I don't, I don't understand anything you're saying. Like, I don't even, I don't even have the concept of what you're saying. And he's like, okay, let's go back. And I remember like, he's like, let's just meet with the civil engineer. I say, but she's not an attorney, right? Because I can't pay the retainer. She's like, no, a civil engineer is not an attorney. So anyway, long story short, um, <laughs> we went to meet with Kim Leon Horn, who's a national known civil engineer. 
And then they told me at the first meeting, like, hey, that site could probably be 25 houses there. And I was like, really? Okay, tell me more. She's like, well, and on record, there was already a top of boundary true survey that's already on public record. I was like, how much is that? She's like, 10 grand. I was like, what? I was like, but it's already been paid for. It was already there. And I was like, oh, good Lord. Okay, good. And then she's like, and I asked her, say, well, how much is your fee to do everything? And what does that look like? She's like, oh, honey, it's only like $40,000. I'm like, um, what? Like everything is hitting me. Did you get out the credit card? Did, did you get out the credit card right at that moment? No, I didn't have it because going through the force. So everything was a little bit different. So I had to put my creative mode on. How can I be super creative with everything? So I remember I called then uh, out of this or what happens in commercial development. The first thing what hits you is one, if you've never done it before, you just realize, God, Lee, this is a whole different world. Like this is a very different world, terminology, language, everything's different, right? But the numbers are very different. Like if you could hit a base hit or a double or a home run deal, like you're done. Like like financially, you are you don't have to work anymore, even on just one deal. Like for, and I'm not just saying that, I'm just saying it because it's true. I've been a part of these transactions. You're like, oh, I'm good. Like I don't have to do anything. I'm, I'm done. I'm <laughs> like... Because you're figuring out this is the knowledge base that the huge families, they have their family offices connected to development for a reason. Is because when you're a billionaire, where's the only asset that you could actually purchase something that's $100 million and it's secure and you can land bank it? Land. Sorry, go ahead. So let's just let that ton. No, man, that's ton to swallow. And I, I, I knew you'd come out of the shoot like a racehorse <laughs> that you are. So slow you down a little bit and sort of digest some of this. And, um, um, you know, I think I, in, in our world, there's a lot of learning on the fly. We've known guys who, you know, jump in with both feet and then sort of figure it out as they go. It's the ready fire aim approach. And, um, this sounds very much like that, Jack, I know you are, you know, I, I've always seen Jack to be a much more measured guy. Jack's not going to jump, go jumping into anything before he truly understands yeah. like what's going. But yeah, what what do you <laughs> what are you getting there, brother? Come on, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Boy, it was like I was like I got to learn how to do this. I don't know how to do this, but I can't go just like talk about some. If I go talk about some theoretical deal with them, like one, they don't want to take the they don't want to take the time because like they're like, hey, I get paid on deals on the table, and like. If you want to go get your civil engineering degree, you know, call your local community college. Um, otherwise, here's the zoning handbook, and you can go read that in your spare time. And I'm like, dude, neither of those, like, neither of those are practical. Like, I'm not going to do either of that shit. Like, so I needed to have a deal on the table so that I could have a conversation. So we started, we started looking at deals, and then we paid for the learning experience by we'd look at deals we didn't that we didn't even have under contract yet but i would just say like hey i've got this under contract like you know can you know what can i do with this parcel and i'd get charged a couple grand to do like a very basic analysis and then i whatever they'd come back to me with i wouldn't understand anything that they said and then i'd be yep. and then i would just go like word by word like being like all right what's that mean what's that mean what's that mean and they're just like you know sighing or whatever like oh my god this guy's really pretty fucking green and <laughs> but you know but you just ask dumb question after dumb question after dumb question until by the third of fourth of those i was like all right i'm starting to get it you know like i yeah. I, I, I understand the, the things that are going on here and then 
yeah, and then you realize, oh yeah, all those those are somewhere in the zoning handbook and somewhere in like you know the civil engineering, you know, one hundred and one. But um, that's how that's how we learned it too. It's just like put you know fit, you know put put a deal on the table and then just like start digging in. Um, yep. But yeah, that your civil engineering resource ends up being your best friend. Um, and uh, and then and then the local municipality. Oh my God! The uh, just like the the nuances of a. You said gophers, right? You just said gophers, but yeah. and like yeah. in other parts of the state, it's like scrub jays, tortoises, um, if you know jaguars, oh, like yeah. tiger yeah, like, livers. Yeah. Like, oh, they'll kill a deal. Migratory they kill, birds. They just did a whole subdivision yeah. uh, in Auburndale, not that far from here, for the Auburn for the um, gopher study that came out. Yeah. God forbid you want to develop anything close to the Chesapeake Bay where we are in Maryland. I mean, it becomes a it's whole other yeah. you know, level of macro that you have to learn. So, Franklin, um, bring us up to speed now. So sort of fast forward to this, like, I, I've, got the, I've got this thing. We understand what we've got here. I've got my, you know, my uncle uh, who wants the pizza sort of working alongside yeah. of me. Like, quickly bring us up to, like, we're going to plot this thing out at this point. And, and then what did you end up with? Yeah. So then right after that, right after they told me the 25, I got introduced to two commercial brokers that are very active in the commercial space, which I would highly recommend when, if you're going to play in this game, you got to find agents and brokers that are really heavily active in the commercial world. And Andy and Jared from Cushman Wayfield were a huge resource. Andy said, look, if you get this up to 41 houses, every national home builder will bid on this property, but you got to get it up to 41 because they really want 50, 50 houses is their threshold. But because the area is so great, if you can get 41, they'll take it because the area is so great. So I got the conceptual plan changed and conceptual plans for me are like 25 to $3,000 each, you know, and I'm already like at the time, three conceptual plans in. And so um, long story short, we got it converted to 41. I got every national home builder that you could think of in your head right now, bid it on my property. Um, and they put LOIs as many as possible. So in my head, let me just stop. Let me, let me, okay. let me stop you there. Um, for the folks that are listening. I, so when you say bidding on the property, that means I'm going to go and develop the dirt, put the infrastructure in, and these guys are going to come in and buy no. that. No, no. So what I, so there's, okay. So there is, there's levels to development. Okay. And every level you can make income. So the first thing is land packaging. You got to package the land and you got to control it. But right there, that raw land asset, you could sell that for a profit and you're good. You don't even have to go to the next step. But the next step, what I found was, um, land, land entitlements. So that means that your property, you own, you've got the land, you've got a conceptual plan that the approvals and entitlements are complete. And then you could sell the conceptual plan with all the studies that you've already done. Now it's a heavier investment on sure. you because you're probably going to have to spend a hundred to $150,000 on studies. It all matters the size of the land. And then, but if you can package it right, you can like what I've been doing is basically now I've got an asset. I'm into this deal for six hundred thousand that I haven't paid on. Remember, it's seller financing. I got a hundred thousand dollars of studies into it, so I'm into it for seven hundred. And now I got LOIs at two point six million. Makes sense. So then, and then I'm not building up not anything. I'm not building. I'm not putting. What you're doing is I'm getting a shovel in the ground. I'm getting a shovel ready for you. You're going to take it from there. Now, some other land developers are different. They want to do the pad ready. 
They want to put they, they want to cut in the streets. They want to put in the lift station. Now you'll make more, but not more profit. So what I at least for me, when I started doing the math, I was like, man, this is going to first of all, what is the biggest bang for my buck? And the biggest bang for the buck was shovel ready and sell the asset off. Um, so anyway, long story short, that, any questions related to that? And then I can go further in the story if you want. So are you were you actually getting the um, yeah were you actually getting the 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 lots? So you're doing the studies. Are you getting the lots to what I, I in in Maryland it's called get it to record plat? Were you actually subdividing and getting the subdivision approved and recorded? Yeah, hundred percent, just shovel ready. Right. So basically, that last permit, you know, you got your water, you got your water sewer permit is your last permit for us. Our water and sewer is the very last one, right before swift mud and everything else. So we get it right to that, right to that stance, and then what we do is right when that actually that permit comes in, we're closing a week after. So that's in our that's in our PSA agreement. And PSA, if you're listening to this, which I didn't even understand what that was in the beginning, is called purchase sales purchase sales agreement. So there's these acronyms that I remember in the beginning. I was like, I don't know what they're saying. Like, what's an ESA report? And they're like, Oh, it's environmental size assessment. I'm like, how much is that? Thirty grand. Well, I don't want ESA. I don't want. It's like, I don't want, um, yeah, I'll waive that. Yeah, can you waive it? Is that fine? <laughs> Workman's comp exempt. <laughs> That's funny. So, so, we, so we're seeing. Anyway, so, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, no, no. Uh, so, so we're seeing. Um, so, and then in terms of like selling that land, are you selling that raw land? Are you then send, selling it to the national who's going to go do the horizontal development, the roads, the streets, the utilities, et cetera? Uh, are you selling it to yeah. straight to the, the national or are you selling it to uh, a, another developer who's going to do that horizontal and get it ready, uh, get, it to, get it to finish lot, right? Like put the streets in, put the pads in. Um, put all the utilities yeah. in and then sell it at finish lot. I mean, you could, you could do both, but what are you seeing in the market right now? Yeah. Is there an advantage? Well, for what I'm seeing is simplifying. So for me, it's keep it simple. Keep it stupid simple. So stupid simple is sell it to the highest bidder. That's it. So at the time of that property, I sold it to, I decided on KB Homes, but I did have to negotiate the deal face to face with the acquisition manager twice. Because what I discovered is when they sent me the first PSA, they wanted me to do the land development. And so they gave me this really high number. But then when you start digging in, that's why I tell everybody who was thinking about development, you need to start, um, you got to learn um, contract law. So you need to understand and at least get a core foundation of contract law because your attorney, remember they're, they're hourly, but real estate attorneys are expensive as hell. So, you know, just for my real estate attorney, he's talking me through this 36 page PSA. But when I started going into it, redlining it, and tabbing it out, I was like, oh, wait up. They want me to pay for the land development and me to front that. And that would have been one point, one point something million dollars to front it. Um, so I was like, nah, we're good. So let me, I was like, let's, let's have coffee. Let's talk. And I did, you got to think about a house. It's the same thing of a house. Look, I went to the acquisition manager names, Paul from KB Homes. And I just, we, I say, look, it's not going to work the way you have it set up. At the end of the day, do you guys want this deal or not? Yes, we do. Perfect. Okay. So what's your per lot net to me? What does that look like? What's the highest you're paying right now? He didn't want to tell me, but his engineer told him himself. So his engineer who's right next to him said, oh, we're at like 32,000 uh, a lot that we could do net. I was like, perfect. So look, 32 times 41, what's that? I was like, all right, cool. So I'll get the last permit and we just do net to me. You pay hundred percent of the closing costs. I'm not paying nothing. 
and then and then we you know waited for about a half second and they're a national home builder let me tell you something if they're a nasdaq company they got unlimited capital unlimited you know why all they gotta do is print out more stock so he said yes and then we closed and then we we got the deal done it was all together from start to finish was six months and i closed the deal for so that was your go ahead yeah go ahead again yeah and i closed it for over one point something million we made the biggest profit in my, at the time in my entire life ever like i've never seen a seven-figure check ever so for see like there are so many emotions going through my head from seeing that like, it says your name it says true it says like all that when you read it and the number and you're like a national like i don't know man it was like it was emotional for me like i i was like what is happening right now this is amazing so go ahead jack the reason the reason why i wanted to have franklin on is because he really brings that main street approach that i love so much like like franklin is like the guy literally at the ground level who's learning it from the ground up which <laughs> I, I just love literally so that was that was any questions before we move on jack so have you done, uh, are you doing any of the horizontal work yourself or digging into like how to get that work done? Oh yeah. Yeah. Now I am before that was, was just trying yeah, to, that was, that was the next step. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now I'm doing, so what I did was, okay. So when I got really good at, when I sold the KB homes, that was like the, the joint of confidence, but at the same time, simultaneously, I was doing assemblage of a business park. So I got 22 acres and then I um, converted that from 22 acres, got an assemblage of 60 acres, and then found a national uh, developer, Johnson Development Group, that wanted to buy it. My partner at the time, who financed everything. So that's the other thing. When, you're, when you start learning development, they're going to pay you as a, as a co-developer or main developer. And they understand like that's a high fee just to work on it. So I negotiated $150,000 up front to work on the deal, and then we'll split the profits 50-50. So long story short, we had our we were in the asset for about three million, but I negotiated all seller financing. So we were only out of pocket like a hundred thousand. And then we had a buyer at like five point five million. And that was with Johnson. Because I was going through a divorce, my my partner said, Hey, do you want me just to pay you out? It'll be less than what you'll make, but you got cash in your pocket because everything is happening. And I was like, Hell yes, I'll take it. Um, so on that deal, that was that was the, I was doing that deal and the KB Homes deal simultaneously at the same time. So I was learning subdivisions and commercial business parks and industrial space at the same time. Um, then from there, I've done a lot more deals, apartments, multifamily. Everything was approvals and entitlements to maximize profitability. Then probably about not even a year ago, year and a half ago, I was like, you know what? I just started seeing the trend of because at right before I left Clever Investor, me, me and Craig were at Clever Investor together. That's how we know know each other so well. I was actually the CEO of a company called True Builders and True Plumbers. And so that we had 45 plumbers, right? And so what I saw was specific skill labor is only getting harder to find people that want to work on shit. Literally shit. Plumbers, right? And so even though they're making 80 grand a year, it's they still don't want to do it. So in my head, I'm like, man, I wonder how that's going to be in the future. Because it's only in kids nowadays, Gen X or Gen whatever they are now, like they really don't want to do shit. Like they're so dopamine heavy on everything. Like they don't even want to move. Like they, everybody got a crick in your neck like this. They walk around like this because they will look down all the time. Um, so it's like they really aren't going to do anything. So a year and a half ago, uh, Habitat for Humanity said, 
we've got a house we want to build. I said, I'll take it. I'll do it. Mind me, I've never built anything in my life. And I just said, whoever's the contractor, I'll beat his price. But for me, I wanted the education. I just wanted to learn how I could do it. And if you do something through Habitat, you actually could do owner builder. They uh, Habitat could pull all the permits for all the trades and you don't need any licensed trades for anything. So I was like, all right, this will be a good experiment because at the same time this is happening, I read the Sears catalog of 1900. Have you ever read that? You ever seen these catalogs before? Dude, you should buy one on Amazon. Where they taught you, where they, they the, the where they gave you the craftsman house and the kit and you then built it. Your yes, house, right, you got it. Yeah, like think about this though. Back in the 1900s, they would, they would deliver. They were they would deliver house on the back of a truck, and then no, just kind of put no, they it wouldn't. They would, right trucks didn't house. exist, son. There was no trucks. It was a <laughs> damn horse and carriage. It was a horse and damn ca- 1900. The T T mode did not come out. There was no cell phones, no cars, nothing. It was old Betty with a damn horse. Right, saying, listen, come on, son. <laughs> Hold on. I, I, listen, I want to I want to cut through all of the all of the minutiae and I really want to get to exactly what you're doing right now with the smaller homes. Yeah. And 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 honestly, Franklin, I love the story, but I, I like our listeners. I know we want to get into the questions of like why you why you went to the smaller house, like what it is in terms of the square footage. Jack, I don't know if you got a chance to take a look at, at, at these houses that he's doing. Um, what's the best website where we could go to Franklin to find the the really cool houses? That I mean, right now, the best website is actually just Google Franklin Cruz Modern Homes and it'll pop up because there's news organizations that took the story. Um, yeah. yeah. So so like so I want you I, I want you just to quickly get to the mindset that the mindset shift that you had of no, man, I can't be doing thirty seven hundred square foot house. What's the average square footage of the house that you're building right now? Uh, between 1,100 and 1,600. So our, our model that we have yeah, right so now, 1,622, three bedroom, two bath, two and a half bath with a one car garage, two stories and a butterfly roof. Yeah, it's the craziest thing, Jack. So like not a small house. We're, this, we're not talking tiny houses here by any stretch of the imagination. These are actually you know smaller than average, obviously, than what we're accustomed to seeing over the last 10 to 15 years. But so what was your mindset there, Franklin? Why did you say to yourself, man, I want to stick to this niche right here? Uh, actually, the mindset was I want to be the, the Tesla of housing, which was a genius way that Elon Musk did. First, be vertically integrated and learn all the trades on how to build a vehicle, um, which that's what we did with Habitat. I was vertically integrated, three guys, me and two other guys. We built the house ourselves. I learned how to do electrical, plumbing, roofing, how to do our own roof truss how to do the sheeting, the drywall, the flooring, the kitchens, how to tie everything in, the foundation, the UFERS, everything, every micro detail that you could think of. And then um, I was on there, I was boots on the ground in the trenches, digging the ditches, finding, you know, where do you have to put your, your, you know, your plumbing pipes and everything else to connect to the utilities. So for me, I knew if we could do this with three guys in four months and do a modern home. Okay, now next, let's do three of them. And that's what we're doing now. We're building three and then we've got 12 more lots. And then I've got a site that we're doing 96. Um, so we're working on that right now. And then another site that we could. Um, so another. So it's other sites now, because now my goal was now we won't do it in-house because to scale. You, I can't be Elon right now. I don't have Elon's long money. But in the beginning, he did have to sub a lot of things out to make the first vehicle the Roadster. And so 
Now what I've learned is if we're going to do the three houses and the 12 and the 96, we've got to get really good tradesmen. And so now we do. So we're building all of these homes now with great tradesmen, but our schedule is building the home and finishing it in less than 60 days, um, which we've already proven. Look, if we did that with three guys and we didn't know what we were doing, we failed all the inspections multiple times on purpose and recorded them and then created manuals of like everything he did wrong or everything we did wrong so we could learn from the inspector. I just kept on saying, it was so funny because the inspector's like, you're never going to be done in a day to finish the plumbing because we just messed up so bad. And we didn't put any schedule 40s at all. We had no, like everything you could think of wrong, we did it. And so he's like, you got to change it out by tomorrow. I was like, oh, I'll call you back because there's only $30 to get the inspector back. So I would call him back every time, even if we weren't done, just so I could learn from him. (laughs) That's true. So, so tell us about the, um, the, the land that you're building on now, mm-hmm. give us some like facts and figures. Like yeah. we, we get the backstory, but like, so tell us like how many acres are, are you, per, did you purchase or did you? Well, I've got three different sites. So I've got 12, 12 lots right now, all within 13th and 4th. So they're infill lots we're building on a 40 by 60 lot size. So that's called a cottage lot. Um, it's something that also a lot of people don't know about. They're called cottage lots. So cottage lots, the count, the city or the county, wherever you're at, usually in the building code or land code, they'll allow a, a lot smaller footprint. But I wanted a house footprint. I didn't want a townhouse because comps are very difficult. Your highest comps are always houses because more houses are selling than anything else. So for me was let's find a one house that if we could change the paint colors they always look like different houses, but we've got to perfect one model so we know the material cost down yeah. to every nut and bear, like everything. Um, so right now we're yeah, doing and and, 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 I, and I think I think Franklin like that what you what you've captured here is like a really unique design that you can sort of mix and match but still be in the same footprint the same everything so so tell us like so you got the 12 lots get what was your per lot price there do you remember 15 grand yeah and then and i so did owner financing. Lot. sorry go ahead you're 15 grand you're 15 grand a lot for basically a 2400 square foot lot which is which it, you know is is pretty small um and then you're building a 11 to 1800 square foot house what is your per square foot build price? Do you know? Yeah. So our, now you've got to add in, I'm adding in, um, I'm adding in impact fees as well. So impact fees over here are $24,000 a lot. Um, and so now the other thing is because we're keeping it in that workforce housing, we get reimbursed that when we show that we sold it to somebody who qualifies for workforce housing, you just have to fill out the paperwork before you pay for your building permit. Um, so our, we're into essentially essentially like a, it's essentially like a state grant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so much money in affordable housing and workforce housing. It's unbelievable. You just got to learn how to tap into it. So our build cost is at 140, $148, $148 a square foot is our build cost. And that's including the impact fees as well. So if you take out impact fees, you minus it off. We're probably at like 135. Um, were you buying those? Was the fifteen grand lot? Was that a finished lot? Like, is that like with utilities to the site already? Yeah, infill. Infill always infill has stuff. utilities right there. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I've learned my lesson because I also bought some lights that weren't infill, and I was like, "Oh crap, we have to bring in the utilities." That's 
not going to be good. So <laughs> we're not getting those. Yeah. Lakeland's one of those like unique markets where they like built so, did so many lots, even in the great recession that they're still infill lots that have not been built out yet. So that oh, you're yeah. like, I mean, when you're finding lots at 15 grand with utilities already on site, I mean, it's the same idea as like buying a house below replacement cost. You're buying a lot below replacement costs. Like you couldn't take a piece of farmland, run roads, run utilities and end up with a cost basis of 15 grand. So I, I love, and you know, and you're talking about the, you know, afford- affordability, is like the driver for the economy. The idea of buying lots below replacement cost when affordability is all everyone's talking about, like that feels really de-risked to me. Like I love that idea. No, no, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So like questioning you about that though, is that like one of the reasons that Lakeland didn't get done, right? Like all those lots didn't get gobbled up over the past 15 years was a conversation about, uh, well, an issue about like, you know, proximity to jobs, so like, yes, there's lots that you can buy below relate, but replacement cost. but you know, who wants to live there? What are the rents going to be? Like, can the rents justify that $130 a foot cost basis uh, yeah. or hundred, you know, 130 plus 15, 130 foot plus 15 grand cost basis. So like, how are you thinking about, how are you thinking about that? Like, you know, great. We've got this like affordable house, but like, are you getting it filled? Yeah. So the first 12, we're selling all of them. So we know we could build it for about. 240, we know they're they're praising at 320. So for us, it's like prove the concept. Let's just sell them all. It'll be good, you know, good PR as well for the community. And then for because whenever you go, we're transitioning from the 12 to the 96 unit site. So that's nine acres of land right next to downtown Lakeland and next to Bonnet Springs area. So that's it's like an area that it's kind of like an area if if I lived in Tampa, so there was an area in Channel Side that was industrial and it was horrible piece of shit area for years. Nobody wanted to go there. And then after a while, somebody started building up these modern industrial, like cool condos. And now everything in channel side is a million plus. Right. So I saw that in Lakeland, I was like, Oh dude, this is like back to the future. Like this is just like 20 years ago in Tampa. And so I bought that nine acres in the industrial area that I know is already coming up. It's just not coming up. Like everybody like, Oh, well, Where's the modern home? No, they'll be here in 15 years. But what I'm doing with that site, because it's an opportunity zone, I needed to actually get uh, experience because whenever you're dealing, if you're going to get the financing for 96 units, you've got to have a co-developer with experience or you've got to have the experience. So that's why we said, let's do the 12. And then hopefully that gives us enough experience that we could do the 96 or we bring in a co-developer, but he feels better because now we know what we're doing. We just need him a part of it, um, so we can negotiate a lower fee and stuff like that. So, so tell me about like your like financing all this, right? Like, where'd the money come from to buy the land? Where'd the money come from to to do the the vertical construction? Do you bring are you bringing in equity partners? Are you bringing in debt people? Like, what's that all look like? Yeah, no, I could answer all of it. So the first thing is, everything is actually private. So I've actually I haven't done like a conventional um mortgage or anything even with hard money lenders probably since my own house that i live in to 2016. Um, everything is just private individuals um so that's how i get the financing so habitat that was a donation and then i i put in forty thousand dollars to finish the house um and then these other homes they are partners that i have found or you know private private partners on the capital side that brings in the capital um so the 12 houses yeah go ahead 
Man, I that's honestly, Jack, one of the reasons why I wanted to have Franklin on the show. We've talked to so many guys um, over the last few months that are, you know, they're they've got hedge fund capital. I, I should let you know, um, Franklin, if you don't, that Jack Jack and his partner Fred at Dominion do quite a bit of lending themselves. Uh, if you didn't do your research, um, you know, I'll I'll let you look that up. But um, so yeah, they understand the lending game better than most. And what I love about you, and I knew that you would say this, is that you've bootstrapped all of this, man. You've literally done this thing. The 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 like I'm starting off flipping a house here in 2004. I'm going to go to friends, family, and fools, and I'm going to put all the cash I need together. And you figured it out along the way. And that's honestly the story that I love the most here. It's you know you're not some hedge fund backed uh, guy that uh, you know you're you're going to do a thousand of these things. You're learning it as you go. And so yeah, continue. I'm, I just wanted to, that's highlight that. No, I mean I appreciate that, man. Thanks. That means a lot. It's definitely has been a huge learning curve and sometimes even doubting myself um, because it's like, you know, it's, it's interesting because even, and I'll be upfront with you. So what happens in this commercial world and development world, the sellers will think they know what you're going to make. And I've been sued twice from sellers that wanted more money. So it's like, you like what? You're talking, you're, you're, talk, you're, you're talking about the land seller. Yeah. Right? The land seller. So the land seller. And so, so, so getting back to Jack's question, mm -hmm. you've got, you've got the land, you've, you've now encumbered the land, you're probably doing owner finance with that. What are the terms that you're, that you're kind of working with that if you're willing to, willing to offer Yeah, that's that? not a problem at all. So for example, like when I did the KB Homes deal, right? When I sold that, that was a private investor that fronted all the capital, but he was also a private investor that I knew from my house, from doing houses. And I, I knew Joel had a lot of capital. And so I just asked him and say, look. I wasn't going to come up to Joel until I had an LOI from somebody showing the difference of like, hey, I'm into it for this. I can sell it for this because it's the same thing as houses. No difference. Like when you're dealing with a house, you're just saying, hey, I could get into it for this on the rehab, but it's a praise for this. Here's my CMA. And you're just here sure. it is. This is a number. Sure. Right. And so <clears throat> I showed it to him and, he, and I was like, man, what would you do? And uh, and I said, look, I'm not going to lie, man. This is super high risk. I really don't even know what I'm doing. Um but this LOI is real. You can call them, right? And I really have it for this. And you know me for the other deals. Like, and things go wrong. Like, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll pay you back somehow. I have no clue, but I'll figure it out. What, and so, okay, go ahead. What were the terms? What were the terms? Fifty percent. So I did fifty. I did. Um, okay. I did um, five percent on his capital, no payments, and then fifty-fifty on the deal, and that was it. And so he funded okay. it. It came out a lot, a little bit higher than what we thought, and that was it. Let's fast forward to the twelve lot deal. The mm -hmm. land there was in Phil. Did you? Uh, was that one seller for the land? Uh, three sellers, and all of them um, I did seller financing. And then, so what are the terms that you generally arrange with them? As little as much money as I can up front for as long as possible. So that one specifically. Okay. Seven, seven of the lots. And you got to figure where I'm at is called, it's, it's like an area that a lot of people have never sold. So like both, uh, three of the owners were like the original of when the, the, sure. the street was made, you know? So, yeah. So they very got, unsophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. So he wanted 150 and I was, or I think he wanted like 175. I just said, look, man, I'm a developer. The impact fees alone are $23,000 each. 
on every deal. I don't even know what's up with the land. So I got to front the studies. I got to front what's going on. You're not going to front that. So let's just come up to a happy medium, 150,000. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll pay you a thousand dollars right now. I'll have it. I'll own the property. That's the other thing I do now is I own it, do seller financing. And then what I do is do a payment pro payment plan with like a two year, um, a two year note saying, Hey, a, a balance paid in two years or sooner. So I just told him, I said, look, it takes time to do studies. I've done projects that it takes a year to get all the studies done. Sure. All right. Love where we're going with this. I want to um, go ahead and we'll, 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 we usually do like 45 minute episodes, Franklin. Sure. So we'll end this episode right now and then we'll just keep rolling. Start up the next episode. Cool. Jack. Yeah. whatever. Sounds good. Hey, so we're going to continue with Franklin on episode 17 of Real Investor Radio. This has been uh, Craig Fuhr, Jack LeVere, and Franklin Cruz. Come on over to episode 17 right now where we continue the conversation. We'll see you in a bit.